0: This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the 2017 Launchpad Feature Competition. Now in its fifth year, the Launchpad has helped 254 writers get signed, 81 projects get set up, 48 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. Paper Team listeners can save $15 off the next entry by using the code PAPERTEAM at the checkout. All caps, all one word. For more information on their current competitions and exclusive partners, visit (laughs)
1: tblaunchpad.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, a.k.a. TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJWatson. And today we're going to be talking about what comes after winning or placing highly in a major TV writing competitions. And to do that, we're joined by three special guests.
0: We're joined by uh, Talia Gonzalez, who's been writing on Team Wolf and iZombie. She made the top 25 of the 2013 Tracking Board Launchpad Feature Competition with her writing partner, uh, Bisan
1: Masood.
2: Hi, everyone.
1: We're also joined by David Hoffman, who works on Timeless and who won the 2015 Launchpad Pilot Competition. Hello. And fresh off of winning the
0: 2017 Launchpad Pilot Competition, the one, the only, T.A. Snyder. Howdy. <laughs> First up, just tell us a little bit about your background before you even entered the competition. Where are you from? Were you living in LA? What kind of work were you doing? All that stuff.
3: I'm originally from New York. I've been out in LA for about five years now with my wife and three kids. Started writing a few years before we moved out here and had entered the competition, I think once or twice before I had the success I had in 2015. But uh, it was, you know, definitely an exciting moment for me.
2: Hi, I'm originally from Boston, but I spent a number of years living in New York City, writing with my writing partner, Bissan Masood. And we started out writing a play and then moved over to specking television shows, trying to get into the network writing programs. And this was our second feature that we put into the contest, and we're top 25. So, and then from there, just kept writing.
4: <laughs> this is T.A. Uh, I'm originally from a small town in central Illinois. I uh, went to college at Columbia in Chicago. I bounced around between downstate Illinois and Chicago for about 10 years before I moved to L.A. three years ago.
1: Did you always want to write for TV, or is there a point where you were kind
4: of ambivalent about which medium you wanted to work in? I wrote features for almost 20 years. I just recently made the transition to television a year ago.
2: We were always really interested in television. Being that we're a writing team, we already sort of had this collaborative nature to us and knew that being in a writer's room would sort of be that only on a larger scale. But the reason we wrote a feature was. Friend of my brother's, who is an actor, sort of came to us with this idea, this project. And so it was sort of written for him, and then after that, we returned back to writing pilots.
3: I've always really written both. Never thought of myself as just a TV writer or a feature, and you know, maybe it's something we'll get into later. But I think that as a writer, it's a cool time where, due to the Netflix and Amazons and other services, the lines are starting to blur a bit. So it's kind of whatever medium is is best for the the topic and subject and characters.
1: Well, were the TV shows you grew up with or influenced you in some ways?
4: My biggest early influence was The X-Files. I had just never seen anything like that. It was like a little mini monster movie every week. And then, you know, I kind of became a huge fan of Sopranos whenever that dropped. I think that was a big game changer for television.
2: I think a lot of family dramas, The Wonder Years, when I was very young, Punky Brewster, (laughs) um, Family Ties, Growing Pains... I think those were the shows that were sort of nearest and dearest to my heart. But yes, Sopranos was pretty great too. Because right. <laughs> I remember when it came out, it was
4: like, what? They're just doing Analyze This as a TV show? Like, this is never going to work. <laughs> right. And they proved us all wrong.
3: I grew up with my favorite show by far was Cheers. I was oh, just wow. obsessed
4: with reruns and,
3: and all that kind of stuff. I mean, when I, as a writer, when I think about what shows, when I'm stuck on something and want to go reroute a show for influence or just to kind of remind myself of good writing, Looks like it's a lot of Mad Men. It's a lot of Breaking Bad, Soprano, typical kind of, you know, Mount Rushmore shows, I'd say.
0: What was all of your experiences with entering competitions before the tracking board? Were you guys putting up results in other ones? Was this kind of a last ditch effort before you gave up altogether? And had that script that you actually entered gotten awards or been rejected before?
3: It was the first TV competition I had entered. I'd entered a couple of feature ones, the Nickel and the Austin Film Festival, and had it, at the time, it felt like a lot of success in that I made it through a round or two and got some positive feedback, which we'll get into this as well, I'm sure. But to me, the writing contest part of it is just getting feedback and validation to keep you motivated to write that next project. So I didn't have the, the success that led anywhere other than gave me the courage to kind of open up my page. And it's interesting, I had gotten a chance to send that script to an agent beforehand, and he just trashed it. (laughs) It it was an earlier draft, but it was funny. It it did not go well at all. So when I had success with the, the script, it was validating from a number of different fronts.
2: I'm trying to remember. I'm sure that we did enter it into other contests, and we had success with other things that we had written prior. But as far as that script was concerned, I feel like that was probably the best and biggest award that we had gotten it had taken many iterations because I think because we were given the idea in sort of this piecemeal way, we didn't really approach writing it in a very structured form. So it sort of at various points had three different endings. So I think, though, even though we were top 25 and it was we were given positive feedback, it sort of showed us, too, that there was more work to be done. So that was also a really good thing to say, OK, it's, it's, in, it's in pretty good shape, but it could be made better.
4: I've been taking shots in the dark with uh, screenplay competitions for more years than I care to count. Um, I had my first taste of success back in 2013. I won the ScreenCraft Fellowship and they brought me out here for a week. That got a lot of things rolling with Deadman. At the time I had written it as a feature film and through the development process with them, I got some great notes from Cameron and John and that led to me developing it as a pilot, which is then what I won the tracking board with. And it's, it's funny because you know, I win the tracking board with that. the same draft. I entered another contest, didn't even make the quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a contest I had done well in before, CineStory, uh, which I got invited to the same year that I came out for the screen rep thing. Wow. So. Do you know why it didn't do well? I have no idea. Uh, I didn't get any feedback. <laughs> wow,
1: that's crazy. Yeah. Could you talk about the scripts that you each entered into the competition and what made you pick that one and another one?
3: Yeah, the script I entered was a pilot called Running Money. Through that point, until about a year and a half ago, I worked in finance as my kind of day job. And the advice I got from a number of people, which for a while I was hesitant to take the advice, was write something, you know, I had access to a world that a lot of people thought was fascinating, but didn't really know what it went about. So to kind of lean into that, at the time, part of the reason I wrote was to kind of have an escape from that world, which is why I was hesitant to spend my free creative time doing that. But in the end, it was it was good advice. It's um, you know it's about a girl, a woman who is in business school and gets a chance, her foot in the door at a hedge fund. Um, the way I think of it was kind of, if you think of something like the firm where Tom Cruise you know doesn't quite understand the firm he's working at, but then gets starts to see what's behind the curtain. It has some shades of that, also a bit of Devil Wears Prada, where you have some of the the fun of seeing someone give into to the world that they're not sure they want to be a part of, and, and you get the, the joyride of that as well.
2: I was actually looking up the log line as he was talking. I'm like, this was written so long ago, and I haven't looked at it in a very long time. Um, But basically, we were writing this script for an actor uh, who is also from my hometown in Boston. And the script was called 20 Minutes South. And it was uh, just a a drama about a guy who was about to be engaged and was living in the South and got out of his hometown uh, 20 Minutes South of Boston uh, with a football scholarship. So really thought that he was a, was going to be able to break away from this sort of blue-collar life that he had into something better. And his he had sort of a tragic thing happen in childhood and had always had a very fractured relationship with his mother, who was his only surviving relative. And he goes back to try to make peace with her so he can start his new life. And uh, by returning to back to his hometown, he gets caught up in the same shenanigans as he had left. And the story kind of goes from there.
0: Did you ever try to adapt that into a pilot later?
2: It's funny, we haven't. Uh, But you know, obviously, it's a world that we know really well. And the thing is, even though it was set in my hometown, sort of, it really did have this Anytown USA kind of feel, besides the Boston accents and lingo. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I think it would have resonance. And I think it, yeah, potentially could be. Maybe we will. Thanks for the uh, for the tip.
4: Deadman is a story that I feel like I was born to write. Uh, it's about the hunt for the first serial killers in America, set in 1790s America. I heard of this story when I was working in a roadhouse bar. I'd gone broke uh, making an independent film. I had to move back home. And uh, this guy came into the bar one night and told me this insane story about being the descendant of the first serial killers. And I didn't believe him at the time, but when I did research, I determined, like, oh, wow, this is legit. Started doing research, wanted to do it as a limited series, but at the time in 2007, those just weren't being made yet. Uh, There was no true detective, there was no American horror story. So I wrote it as a feature film first and developed it later for for series. It's got a lot of parallels to like the war on terrorism, to uh, Trump's America. Uh, I was writing it at the time about Bush's years. Uh, I had a lot of ambivalence about things that my father and friends did in the military, fighting in Afghanistan, Iraq, and I wanted to grapple with that And something that wasn't just just a head-on you know, Iraq story. And I found these characters that I could obliquely deal with those emotions.
1: I'm curious what made you guys enter that particular script in the competition? Was it sort of the sample you
3: knew was the best at that point? I'll go first, because my answer is super easy. It's the one that was ready. (laughs) I mean, it it was not this huge, thought-out process. It was just the one, the deadline was coming up. I thought it was in good enough shape. and, And I really just entered it looking for feedback you know, and the notes and everything else and and to see where it was. Um, It wasn't that I thought I had this killer script that I thought would do well. It was just the one that was ready.
2: Yeah, for us at the time, uh, I think in the first iteration of this contest, they only had screenplays and there wasn't a television section. So this was the one that we finished and at the time applied to a lot of contests, um, looking for feedback for the same sort of things. And then it was this really pleasant surprise when it did well, and then you started to get blasts of what was happening to some of the other scripts and people that were getting repped, and that's when we we're like, wow, this is the real deal.
4: I had a similar experience that it was the one pilot I had ready. <laughs> I actually haven't written any other pilots. <laughs> I had been working on that for over a year because I, I began to realize that I was just taking, I was ripping out chunks from the feature film and slamming them together and saying, this is a pilot, and it wasn't. It took me a while to learn television writing and the rhythm and and how that really worked. And I had a draft that was like, okay, I think I'm finally getting it now. What
0: was the experience like of actually seeing your results? Like, how did it feel when you found out that you you won? or You made the top 25. Like, I think, was it a huge shock? Was it just this gradual kind of like, oh, I guess that just happened? Like, how did it
3: feel for you guys? For me, it, it was amazing. It was a bit surreal. I mean, I think there was even a top 75. Yeah, they do like
4: 75 and 50 and 25. So so at first, you
3: know, I did that and I got the top 75 and my first reaction was kind of like, you know, I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me kind of thing. (laughs) That that must mean they had like 80 people submit if I made the top 75. (laughs) And it wasn't until it got to top 25... And I I think then they sent out some of the other log lines and they all sounded really cool. And that's where I felt really good. Like, all right, so at least I have something here to build off of. There's something here that people are responding to. And then as it kept progressing, it just got more and more surreal. I remember I knew they were going to announce the winner. I was at my son's flag football game trying to watch the game (laughs) and take video of him and also just flip through to see. And it was through, I think it was maybe even Twitter or something. You're refreshing Twitter constantly. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. It's just refreshing, refreshing. And it said, like, here are the final three or whatever. And when I saw that my, you know, the script title of my name, it was a total surreal moment. And at that point, very few people knew I was writing because of my day job. I didn't want it to mess that up. Um, so I didn't really have anyone to tell. And so I was just kind of standing um. there on the sideline celebrating as the other team scored on my side. This <laughs> is this weird moment, but I, I remember it vividly. It was really cool. It was really exciting. Um, and again, it just felt completely validating that, you know what, maybe if I keep working on this, it'll turn into something.
2: I think that's a similar thing that with every success that you have in a contest, you feel like it's a step closer to achieving a big Hollywood dream that seems like you're never going to get there. I remember when we found out we were top 25 we it's just validation that you're like okay we're on the right course maybe someday we'll get representation maybe this isn't a pipe dream we're not delusional and I think that's why entering contests especially launchpad ones that are the real deal are are so important because otherwise you're writing in a vacuum so we were really excited and you know of course you never you never know what's going to come from there and it was If we had applied to other contests and things, I don't think we had made it that far. So we, yeah, we sort of felt pretty special.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it feels really good. I mean, (laughs) um, to get that validation, I'd had many friends uh, through Twitter um, read it and and give me great feedback for for over a year on it. Um, And it was kind of cool to just see them cheering it on on Twitter, you know. It feels really good. Um, and you need that, that validation to keep going sometimes because after years and years and years, it's, it's tough.
1: What happened after you guys won? Uh, did your inbox get flooded with emails from production companies, reps?
3: Uh, so actually, it was when I made the top 25 that I started to get some people reaching out. And you know, when I first started writing, I was living in New York, didn't know any other writers, so I had no one to really give valid feedback on my work. So I would just submit to every competition I could And the great thing about the tracking board is all the judges and people involved are people that are legitimately in the business, are agents, managers, production, development, people that are looking for new writers. So when I hit the top 25, I got a few people reaching out saying they read it and wanted to chat. And one of them was Tom Carter at uh, Artillery Creative. And Tom and I just got along really well. I felt very comfortable with him. felt like he could be a partner, someone that helped kind of guide me through whatever was going to come next. And then as the script continued to make it to the top 10, et cetera, There was more interest, and and Tom put together a list of kind of agents to go meet with. Which is, you know, anyone when you're unrepped, getting an agent feels like it's the holy grail and kind of the end game. Which obviously it's not, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, But at the time, it was really exciting, and you know, absolutely, it was kind of the success of that script in that contest and the context the tracking board provides that kind of led to getting a manager and agent. So it was very cool.
2: So we kept checking. They'd post, this person got an agent, this person got a manager. (laughs) It felt like everybody from the top 25 was landing people and having inboxes flooded. And that just wasn't the case for us. But I will say, you can't look at one contest thinking that that's going to, or fellowship or whatever it is, that that's going to make your career. And it sort of feels that way. You put so much stock and you're watching your peers and we were wrecked, I think, within a year of that contest. So I think we're the, the poster children for just keep going, knowing that if you've come that far, that it is a subjective thing, that you know, not every person reading every script is going to resonate with your work. And it can also mean that that script isn't necessarily going to be the thing, but you should keep on going. What I will say, though, is we were already living in Los Angeles. We had moved from New York deciding that that was going to be a step towards our career. And I think just by being in the mix and meeting people, that was the thing that sort of ended up helping get us repped.
0: Did you find things were any different for you being a team and having a partner aside from maybe being able to split the entry fee? <laughs>
2: yeah, which is great because they get expensive. There's a lot of contests out there. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's because it is. It's sort of an up and down kind of emotional roller coaster. Um, you really get your hopes set so high, and then it's working for other people, and then it wasn't. So to have someone, you know, if if you're the down one, and then the the partner's like, no, let's just keep going. One contest is not going to make or break our career. It's really nice to have somebody, yeah, to to lean on, and to navigate through this crazy business.
4: It was a surreal experience uh, when the team at Tracking Board told me that I was a grand prize winner because I I work nights for my day day job. I get off at like nine in the morning after a 10 hour shift and I was just falling asleep when I got the call. And Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding, an hour after I got off the phone, finding out that I had won, I got a call from reps at Echo Lake wanting to meet later that afternoon. I ended up taking a couple other meetings just to compare, but I ended up signing with Echo Lake, uh, Dave Brown and Adam Ryback. And yeah, things have just been accelerating from there. I'm now meeting with agents, hired a lawyer, and through tracking board, they set up Deadman with in-game entertainment. So they've now optioned it and we're working out the details. What made you sign with your current rep? Uh, It's a team effort. Um, They understand my voice, that I want to progress into producing, directing. They just understand the next five years, what I want, and they're eager to help.
2: In both experiences, uh, I was introduced to both my manager and agent, through people I had met in Los Angeles that were just willing to have a coffee and pass along the work. So that really goes back to being in Los Angeles really does help as much as I didn't want to move from New York City. So for those aspiring writers out there, that is a big part of getting where you need to go. And also the fact that you just don't know what the path is going to be. You think that oh, it's going to be getting into the writing program or getting into the, or winning this contest. And the fact is, they introduced us. I didn't have the with my rep. It wasn't sort of like okay, all of these reps want me. Which one do I like the best? It was sort of what's right in front of me. And it was a really enthusiastic person that said, "You guys are good writers. Have you ever watched Teen Wolf?" You know, and and then that's how we got our first staffing job the show that I'm currently on, iZombie is packaged by UTA. So it's really nice because you don't have to pay commission if the show is packaged. Yeah, your agency. So but I do love love my agent really enthusiastic and really believes in our work and our sensibility. And then our managers at Throughline, line, um, it was also the sort of the same thing, uh, we were encouraged to meet other managers and just to make sure that it's the right fit. But we decided that we liked them so much that it was sort of like the idea of, dating somebody and then saying, well, you're really great, but let me see if there's anyone else out there better. So um, we didn't want to do that. And we're really happy, like that was said before. So it is a team effort. And when you have a whole team that believes in you and your writing and, and where you're headed, it's just a nice symbiotic thing.
0: And uh, what's it been like moving forward for each of you working with those teams? Like for those who maybe don't know as much about what managers and agents do, what are they doing for you day to day? And what are you having to give to them? And are they giving back?
2: I think that it is having a plan, a vision for your future. It would be nice to say that it's like, well, I think next year I'd like to write on this show, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it really is sort of not beggars can't be choosers. Cause you don't want to take any show. because so you do want to be able to be a, a value to that show. And, Not every writer is right for every show, but it's sort of knowing like, okay, this is where you're writing and is this, you know, the world that you want to stay in? My writing partner and I right now are sort of in the genre space being that we wrote about werewolves and now we're writing about zombies and having an idea of, okay, well, what's next? And these are your credits and being strategic about what what your future is. And then sort of also being that little nudge to say, okay, now you're off of the show, you're on hiatus, come into the office and pitch us some ideas. And what are you interested in? And that's that's nice. It's nice to have people, even though we're our own deadline, it's nice to have a writing partner for that reason that if it's a Tuesday at two and you've decided to sit down to write, it's going to happen as opposed to waiting for inspiration to hit. It's also nice to know that there are other people that are are enthusiastically waiting to find out what it is that you're going to do. And I've heard that, you know, there are some reps that are, are very much like, nope, can't you can't sell that, or no, that's not trendy right now. And it feels like our reps are a little bit more just open-minded to the things that interest us. Because the fact is, is we were sort of on the path with the pilot that got us, or the pilot that we had written sort of made us seem like we were these very uh, serious drama writers. And as it turns out, iZombie is more of a dramedy, which is kind of what we were interested in when we first got to L.A., and we're, you know, gently nudged in a different direction. And if we hadn't had a writing sample that reflected that sensibility, then we probably wouldn't have gotten iZombie. And we're so lucky and fortunate to be on that type of show, because it is sort of the best of both both worlds. So, yeah, it's it's having reps and and knowing that maybe your interest is this, and in next year you might want to cover this area. And it's sort of all all in.
3: Yeah, I, I would say it's very similar. Both the manager and agent kind of have two roles one is kind of very tactical and day to day in terms of you know staffing seasons coming up here's all the shows out there which ones do you think are really of interest to you or have something that you think you could really bring to the table they're also they've been great sounding boards in terms of when I'm thinking about specking a new project or something like that you know nudging it this way or that way or you know a lot of what i've written is kind of set in either true history or his- historical fiction Show them on timeless, goes to different points in history. So they've also, you know, a a more strategic thing is write something that isn't history just to show kind of that you're not just a history writer and things like that. And so from a strategic perspective, helping think longer term about kind of what career do you want to build? They're aware of the fact that, you know, I love TV, but I would also love to write features and and some feature work as well. So being mindful of trying to get me kind of access to both worlds. You know, the biggest thing for me, though, is really as someone that feels like was an outsider into this world, just helping me understand kind of what I should be doing to make sure that I, doing everything possible to keep the kind of career momentum going and opening as many doors as possible and taking advantage of every opportunity I get. Just knowing that I have someone there to make sure I'm not missing anything because I'm very aware of that, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And so I think a lot of it's then helping me understand how to how kind of to take advantage of the opportunities I have.
0: And uh, Tia, I know you've only just signed with your team, but what's the kind of like first step on the agenda when a brand new writer signs with management and that
4: kind of thing? I absolutely got to echo the sentiment about feeling like an outsider and your reps are your mentors. They're going to educate you and you got to be open-minded and listen to them because they have the experience. They're a great sounding board in terms of you know, listening to you know the scripts that you've already written and if you, they'll tell you whether they think they're ready or not. They'll help you determine, you know, which your next project should be. Because I think a lot of times, especially in today's world, every week I have a different idea of what I want to do. It's like, oh, this is, you know, I'm obsessed with this now. I want to write about this. And, you know, it's it's difficult sometimes to focus. And they can help you, you know, determine that of what the next project should be. I'd like to also say something about moving to L.A. I moved to L.A. for the first time in 2003, and I was not ready at all. I don't think there's any shame in, in moving back to where you're from. If it's not the right timing, because this business is all about timing. If I hadn't gone back, I wouldn't have written the scripts that I now have heat on. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, if you have a creative team around you in terms of friends that you grew up with, you can shoot a movie on your phone. You can do it very cheaply. You can go find me something. You do not have to be in L.A. to do that. And I think that's the mistake a lot of writers make is, of oh I have to go to L.A. It's all about getting to L.A. and then everything's going to work out. I waited until... I'd I'd gone through a lot of mistakes in my life and had something to draw from as a writer before I came out here. And I wouldn't change that for anything. Going back to sort of marketing yourself, do you guys feel it is important to brand
1: yourself in a specific niche or genre?
2: I think that's sort of what I was alluding to before was that if you feel, if you're attracted to a certain type of thing and that, you know, let's say science fiction and all of your stuff is sci-fi because that's the world that you love, then it makes sense and you're naturally going to be branded that. I don't know if agents and managers would disagree because it's easier probably to have a writer that is this one thing. But if you are somebody that's more versatile and you're attracted to different things, I think you have to sort of stay true to who you are. And the more passionate you are about the thing that you're writing, the better it's going to be. So speaking from my own experience, I think that right now, perhaps we'd be branded as genre writers, though I don't think that that's what we are. And who knows where the future will take us. But I think that the, for us, we've sort of stayed away from branding and just written what we were interested in at the time.
3: It helps, especially as a newer writer. Not, I wouldn't. I don't know if brand is the right word, but to be seen as having some kind of unique perspective, angle, or expertise or something like, again, for me, it was kind of history and then finance. I think it would have been hard if, you know, I, I, after... I got wrapped and did a bunch of general meetings. If the next script I had was a goofball comedy, I think it would have been a little strange. But on the other hand, I think that, you know, you don't need to trap yourself in. I I always kind of remind myself that if you look like Matt Weiner, from what I understand, started on a lot of sitcoms. And then he went to Mad Men. If you think about Charlie Kaufman, I think he also started on some of those sitcoms. So it's not that you can't change what you do. If you write a great piece of work, it's not gonna matter what you were branded as before. But I certainly think getting started, trying to get that first staff and job or trying to get that first credit probably helps to kind of stick with what got you noticed in the first place, just because that's how the world is already kind of viewing you. Those are great
4: answers. (laughs) I really have nothing to add to that. I mean, I think it's important for a writer to know what their strengths
0: are and lead with that. So what was it like taking those first kind of general meetings and going and doing the water bottle tour around town? What was that experience like? What kind of came out of that for you guys?
3: I remember it was was incredibly cool. I remember just Googling, like, what is a general meeting? And like, you know, what do you do? And I remember one of the things I read was, no matter what, when they ask you if you want water, take it. Um, It was just stuck in my head. I mean, it was just really cool. Like, all, you know, it was, you go into these meetings with people and, and these are people that have real credits and real productions and have been involved with TV shows and movies that you love. And it seems strange to all of a sudden be in there and they want to hear about what you're working on and you're writing interest and what, you know, what you'd like to do next and all that. And you suddenly realize for me, it was also this realization that one, it's really cool and I feel very fortunate to be here, but also that it was a big shift for me that it's, that there's a real business here and these people are looking for content to develop, to produce and, you know, keep the lights on and everything else. While for me, it was just fun to be there for them. This was taking out 30, 60 minutes of their day trying to build a relationship with someone that hopefully they could work with in the future. And I have learned that through some meetings that, you know, it's secretly, I can kind of be in awe of who I'm meeting with or what building I'm in or what they've done. But remember that for them, it's a business meeting and they're trying to assess kind of what you can bring to the table and see if you're someone they want to work with going forward. And so I think, you know, it, it's very easy to go in there and think I'm this new guy, like I can't believe I'm, or girl, I'm, I can't believe I'm in this office. And I think that can in some ways, not leave a great impression, right? They want someone that they think is confident can write something great again. And so, you know, the one thing I would learn, I don't think this was the question, but the one thing I learned was kind of keep it to yourself how cool you think it all is and and think of it as a business meeting.
2: It sort of felt like being sent on a lot of blind dates. (laughs) And, you know, and uh, Bisan and I, We have the luxury of having the two of us, so it never felt like a stilted conversation. We also sort of discovered after several of them, because they always are fine. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes you leave being like, no, they were awesome, but they never went bad. People are just really fun to talk to and to ask questions and... And, you know, they've generally read your sample. So they're also in some ways a fan of your work. Um, So you don't have to go into it feeling like you need to impress them. It really is just coming into the room and showing them who you are, especially with television. It's as much about having uh, competent writers as it is uh, interesting personalities because you spend eight hours a day sitting around a table with people. And what Bissan and I realized was that you go into these meetings and you realize, oh, we're kind of doing like a a shtick, like a, um, not in a false sense, but that you sort of go in curating the best part of your bio. And so I think that when people ask me advice about going on generals, sort of already kind of know what it is that you want to say about yourself. And, And it will come out organically. I mean, certainly don't, come into it thinking that you're going to be doing a stand-up routine. But we did find ourselves, oh, that's the st- she's going to tell that story now. And you know we know that it's coming, but they don't. And you go in feeling like, okay, that's just a little bit of preparation that I can do to let them know where I've been and what I can bring to the table. And after a long series of meeting different uh, development executives at networks and feeling like, well, that was great, but the end result was not us getting a job. And you think that is this really worthwhile? Um, it is because you just never know, even if it is years from then, if you make a good impression and you continue to keep up those relationships, you don't know where those people are going to land, if they're going to jump to different networks. And in our experience that happened um, years later, we had someone that got us a meeting just from keeping in touch with them. And our first meeting was just a general and hit it off. And yeah, so they're super worthwhile.
4: This is so new to me that I've only had one general meeting thus far. So off of my incredible experience of one meeting, (laughs) I can say that I think it's important to to be present and let it be organic. The conversation don't feel like you have to like spit out a routine that you've memorized. For instance, during this meeting, because I was super excited. It was on the universal lot. I had to like walk through the whole lot to get to the (laughs) office. And it's like, oh, there's where they shoot that. There's that. And I sat down and the guy was exhausted. He just got off a flight from Washington DC and had been at, like a party the night before and we connected on the fact that I had just come off a 12-hour shift <laughs> with my night shift so we connected on that level and for the first 30 minutes it was just a conversation about day jobs and emotions in life. I mean, we didn't transition into the talk about scripts until a half hour into the meeting. Did you accept the water bottle? That <laughs> I accepted that water bottle immediately. I didn't have to think about it. <laughs>
1: I'm kind of curious about the the sort of process of getting staffed with you guys between the point where you got signed and until you arrived on Teen Wolf and Timeless.
2: Well, ours was a little, probably a little atypical in that we got Teen Wolf and then that's what got us the reps. So sort of um, being submitted unofficially. And then once we got staffed on Teen Wolf, it was like, wait, are we signed by you too? And, you know, that that was the case. And then in terms of um, the second job, it was just, you know, them sending out our scripts and and taking different meetings and, you know, being lucky enough to get the showrunner meeting on iZombie. And an interesting thing about that was that they had submitted a script that tonally was not in line with the show. And so the feedback was, oh, they're good writers. It's just not the sensibility we're looking for. And thankfully, we have really, really aggressive reps that were like, well, will you read something else? And luckily they did, which I can't believe it, with all of the submissions that they have. But lucky for us, they did. And and that was how we landed the second job. But I think sometimes it's just the connections that you have. And sometimes it is just them submitting cold and talking you up and selling you and getting you in the room.
3: I was not... Particularly or specifically looking to get staffed. I didn't really go on any meetings. I wasn't looking to to join a room in that sense. Again, I was still working my finance job in writing and writing and the running money script and another feature I had written were still kind of generating meetings for me and everything else. So I was more excited about those. And then I got a call from my agent, the guys at Paradigm and guys and girl at Paradigm, who are fantastic, and they kind of said there's this new show on NBC that they're really excited about. At the time it was called Time, not Timeless Yet. They read a feature I wrote set in the 1960s, and they were looking for someone that really had a strong background in history and and could add bring that to the room. So I said, you know, of course I'll take the meeting, and was thrilled, and it just kind of progressed from there. And then when I got an opportunity to join the room, I remember it was kind of three or four sleepless nights where they needed an answer by the end of the week. So my wife and I were like running through the numbers of, can I do this financially? What would it mean? Am I really prepared to leave the career I've built for 15 years and do this? And so I kind of took the leap of faith. And a big part of it was, you know, the people that were running that show, Sean Ryan and Eric Kripke and the, the history they have and and the way people talk about how they've just cultivated so many writers that have started in their rooms to go on great things. It, it felt like if I was serious about making this my career, I couldn't turn it down. So I did it and and it was absolutely right decision. And, and, you know, I would, I would say just like getting a manager and an agent is a big stake in the ground in terms of your career progressing, getting that credit is as well. Then when you start to do other meetings, there's another level of kind of validation that not only did you have a script that got you an agent and everything, but now you're working on a show or something. And, and, uh, you know, at least for me, I do feel like there's a bit of a different perception now that kind of working. So it was a great move, learned a ton. And, you know, again, it wasn't something I was shooting for it was an opportunity that just popped up. Great job by my agents. And, you know, I'm thankful that I was at the time smart enough to take
0: it. So obviously you guys have done some work in TV there, but have you also expanded or gone back to features or graphic novels or novels or plays or any other kind of work? You said you wrote a play a while ago. Time.
2: We have not gone back to playwriting, although we definitely came up in theater. So we are pretty much sticking to features and pilots, but this year we did option a comic book. And our, and we're currently adapting that into a pilot. And that's a really fun exercise in, in taking something and, you know, already having the world and adding to it. Uh, so, yeah, we've been having a lot of fun with that.
3: Yeah. Again, from the start for me, I've always kind of enjoyed doing both. And, you know, when I was speccing stuff, I would write a feature and a pilot kind of at the same time. As I get stuck on one, I'd go back to the other and, and then switch back. So yeah, I'm still d- definitely interested in, in you know, I'm, I'm working on a feature in my free time and, and you know, my reps and stuff know that I'd love an opportunity to take on that challenge as well, for sure.
4: Yeah, I love the challenge of all the different forms of storytelling. I mean, a good story is a good story. Good characters are good characters. You know, I love features. I love short films. I spent 12 years of my life making independent features, music videos, documentaries, For five years, I made commercials, trying to tell a story in 30 seconds (laughs) teaches you a lot. (laughs) Uh, And I think all those things will just make you a better writer in the end. But since I moved to L.A. three years ago, I haven't creatively made anything as a director or anything like that. And I'd love to get back into it.
1: What do you guys feel are the big differences between writing uh, a feature and a pilot? A TV script.
2: I think it really depends on what's the intention of where it's going to go, because until you start working in television, and you're pitching ideas, and you keep having the showrunner tell you, nope, not in the budget it starts to give you a sense of what things cost. And so I think when you're writing something just to spec it for people to read something, that's one thing. And obviously, everything that you write, you hope if you have reps that it will go out. But I think that it really just it kind of depends on what the intention is. If it's something that's just supposed to get you out there in terms of getting a staffing job, and there's no budget in mind, then it really the world kind of opens up. You know, if you're writing an independent feature, I would imagine with the idea that you would like to self produce it, then that's going to be a different story than one that you're just like, well, maybe a yeah. studio will buy this. We and, have these
4: locations. This yeah, is it. <laughs> the sky's the limit.
2: Right. I think just like now working in the industry, you sort of have that in mind, that maybe a script is going to be more alluring to somebody if you do keep in mind that like, there there are fires and what have you. It's going to be harder for them to imagine how are we actually going to execute this.
4: Yeah, with a feature film, I mean, the clock is always ticking and it has to go boom in the third act. Uh, I had to learn with TV writing that you got to slow down a lot of times. It's more effective if it doesn't go boom until episode nine of season one to just hold off on on some of the, the big moments you want to step into that pilot and go, Oh man, look at how amazing this is going to be. A lot of times it's just a, everything but the kitchen sink scenario. You need to take some of those things out and save them for the Bible and save them for later.
3: Yeah. I, I, my, my answer is similar. I think to me, the big difference is that a uh, feature is a self-contained story and a pilot. Whenever I have an idea that I'll, I'll bring to a friend or my reps or someone. it's always to still, do you think there's a hundred stories behind this one? And, you know, certain ideas I have, it's like, absolutely not. It's 90 minutes, it's 110 pages, whatever it is. And others, it's like, yeah, this is really just setting a character off into a new world. And and so to me that, you know, if I start with an idea, it's really asking myself that question. Like, do I see the end or is it something where, you know, it wants room to breathe and there's all these different avenues this character could explore that determines whether it's really a, a TV or feature.
0: So you get a bunch of heat from uh, winning a competition. You land reps. You maybe take your first staffing job or assignment. How do you then sustain that kind of momentum throughout your career? What's the kind of work that you're having to do all the time to make sure that you're able to keep doing that?
4: You guys tell me. Uh. <laughs> yeah.
2: I hope I'm still around in ten years. Um, I think that it's well two things. I mean, it's an interesting challenge that when you're in a writer's room, you know, you want to be doing the best work possible. But then also still having the energy and motivation to write your own things so that you can develop and move your career forward. So I would say that. I would say that, you know, it's, it's constantly balancing those two things. Because the fact is that you're not giving your all to the job that you're currently being paid to do, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because those are not only are you looking to impress the showrunner and hope that you can continue that relationship, but you never know where all of your peers are going as well. They might sell a show. So I think that it's sort of having a vision for where your career is going and writing towards that and continuing to be creative and nurture other relationships with other people beyond the people that you currently know.
3: For me, it's still relatively new. I mean, it's still, you know, I I wrapped up one season on a show and and looking forward to starting the second one, but it's not as the, I mean, I'm certainly not the right person to speak about how to have longevity in this world yet. I mean, that's absolutely something I'm still trying to figure out. I I would say, along with that answer, a lot of it is just be in the moment in the job you're doing and make sure you're doing everything you can to bring value to that room, to that project, to the people in charge of that. I was very fortunate with The Timeless Room, had two great showrunners and eight other great writers in there who have amazing credits and relationships. It's really just about being someone, especially on the TV side, that people want to work with, that they're impressed with, that they know can do the job, that they know you're a professional. And then when you do have free time, you know, making sure you're working on something new. It's it's funny, when I worked in finance, you would get vacation and feel like you could unplug a little bit. With writing, it does feel like you're always constantly thinking or working on something. And, And I think that that Well, it's not necessarily healthy, it's a good attitude for the career to kind of always be thinking about what you're going to work on next. And I think, you know, momentum is probably the most important thing, just keeping in front of people with new ideas and and projects.
1: Speaking of what are your plans for the future? Do you have career goals or aspirations that you are striving
3: towards? For me, I mean, nothing specific. Like I, you know, I want to write a movie that opens with XYZ or something. I mean, I'd love to get to the point where I'm able to create my own show or write my own feature where you go into meetings where people know what you've done and are really excited that you're the kind of person where they say, I would love to work with XYZ, right? You have the Matt Weiners, the David Chases, all these people we've spoken about that are iconic in at least the screenwriting world, that every network out there, every platform out there would say, we would love to work with that person. You know, that's a tall order, of course. But the goal is to be someone that, you know, people want to work with and and think you bring Something to the table that is unique and a voice they want to work with. So I would say personally, there's a long way for me to go to get there, of course, but in terms of the long-term goal, that's it.
4: If Vince Gilligan and Steven Soderbergh had a baby, that's what I want to be. <laughs> nice.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think echoing exactly what they've said is just hoping that you're still relevant and working in the future. and And it would be great to run our own show at some point in the future, but also knowing that we don't need to rush it. There's so much that I've learned from the showrunners that I've worked for in the two jobs that I've had and realizing that there's a lot more that goes into it than knowing how to write. There's the whole other production side of things that... I'm starting to get a taste of what that is and and knowing that I need to know more before I'm going to be able to do that myself. So really just being a student and and learning how that all works and how to manage a team of writers and make a cohesive vision happen. Uh, So yeah, so just taking in what everyone does and keeping a file of the things that are really working and hope that someday I can implement it myself on my own show
0: and uh david i believe you are signed up as a mentor for this year's competition right i am yeah, i'm have, very excited uh, have you guys had your own mentors throughout your career people in your rooms or in the industry that have helped you along how'd you find those people too
3: you know i, I wouldn't say i've had a mentor I, i've had a lot of people and certainly once i got you know at first it was the manager and then the agent who really were i don't know if mentor is the right word but they were definitely my coach in terms of helping me understand how the, everything worked once I got in the room, there were a bunch of people. And really, I was so lucky with that room from from Sean and Eric all the way down. It was just such a fantastic group of people that had such amazing and diverse experiences that I would say they were all mini mentors and that I got to pick different pieces from each of them in terms of each of them would bring something different to the room that you could see how valuable they were at some specific aspect of what we were trying to put together. And obviously, credit to Sean and Eric that they put that room together for that purpose that everyone had a different kind of skill set and perspective to bring to the table. And so similar to the answer that was before, I just tried to steal every good quality from as many of those people as I could. And from some of them it was during lunch asking them questions, and from other it was just observing them and saying, I love how they did that, and trying to put that into my own basket and skill set of things to develop. So there wasn't really one person. I, I would say if you get the opportunity To have someone that is willing to kind of help you understand how things work, jump at it. For me, it's been a lot of kind of taking advantage of a conversation with someone I get here or there and just absorbing what they tell me.
2: I always wondered how that works. At what point do you ask somebody, can you be my mentor? (laughs) And, you know, what does that actually entail? But, no, I'm also a mentor for the Launchpad contest, and I think that I jumped at the chance when they asked because there have been people, select people in our career, that have helped us for no other reason than because they were kind and know that everyone needs a leg up in this business. You know the people you know, and at a certain point, somebody has to sort of go to bat for you. So, There are a few people who, when we first moved to LA, knew us from nowhere and were just kind enough to say, sure, I'll go to coffee with you. And then they ask, how can I help? And when you're asked that question, that is sort of somebody saying, yes, I will mentor you. They're taking the time to read what you've written. You can ask them questions. And Those few people were were the people that essentially helped us to get on the path of getting repped and getting our careers started. And then I would also say, yeah, that, you know, the showrunners that I have now are, are mentors are people that have taught me so much. And I feel like very comfortable now going to them and asking them questions. And, yeah, you sort of pick people up along the way. And it's just your job when you get to a point where you have the ability to pay it forward that you mentor somebody else.
4: Yeah, I haven't had one Obi-Wan Kenobi mentor in my life, (laughs) but to echo them, I've had a lot of many mentors. And, you know, a writer, it's licensed to be a full-time student for the rest of your life. And if you keep your eyes and your mind open, there's things to learn from everybody. I've got great advice and great feedback and just life lessons from friends I've met through Twitter, through the tracking board, through ScreenCraft, through The Blacklist, through Sinistory, and then going back before I moved to LA um, and Chicago school student teachers that I, you know, relationships. I think you just got to keep your, your eyes open and your mind open and you're going to keep learning.
1: So let's say someone is uh, about to submit a script to a competition. Do you guys have any advice or recommendation before
3: they hit submit? For me, the only advice I would give is around expectations. And, and you know, I'm one of those people that follows a lot of screenwriters and, and such on Twitter. And, and I know at times there's debate over the benefits of screenwriting contests and things like that. And I think it's just going in with the right expectations that it's a great chance to submit work to professionals in the industry and assess where you are with that specific piece of work. Obviously, make sure that it's really ready to go, that you feel as good about it as possible, format and all the other things. Hopefully, are in place. But you know, really go in hoping that it is something that you can use to make that piece of work and the next piece of work stronger. I, I wouldn't say go in goal of I'm going to get an agent from this or anything like that. If that happens, fantastic. But I don't personally don't think that's the right mindset for entering contests like this. I think it's all about, it's another way to kind of see where you are amongst all the people trying to catch a break. And and hopefully you get some great feedback that is useful in making your next piece of work stronger.
2: That for sure. Um, You know, tempering your expectations, knowing that, you know, this is contests are really just to see how you stack up against other Pre professional or professional writers. But I I would also say getting really good feedback on your script before submitting it is a really good thing that you might think this is the best thing that you've ever written, but having some outside perspective before we had really developed a community of other writers that, you know, peers of ours. And also you have to be careful too because your friends might. Not be as honest with you um, as somebody else. So, you know, we went online and looked for some some people that we paid to read our scripts that had no skin of the game as far as wanting us to do well. It was just... This is what I see in front of me. And that was really invaluable. And sure, it comes with expense. But we knew that at that point, after writing a few drafts and having somebody that we paid look at it and say, here's what's working, here's what's not, we really felt confident that it was ready to go out. It's interesting. You think, well, it's not quite ready, but meh, we'll see what happens. But I just think that people have memories, and that when you move to Los Angeles, you realize that this business is a lot s- smaller than you thought, and first impressions are lasting. So just be really confident that this is something that is ready to go out. And if you're rushing to make a deadline, which oftentimes I think is you know, part of the reason why you submit to contests so that you can get your act together. If it's not ready for this year, next year is okay. That you know, you're everyone's very anxious to get the ball rolling, but uh, but yeah, be really confident in what you're submitting first.
4: Absolutely, I agree. I think readers for contests they, they have so much fatigue; they read so many scripts. I mean, it's insane the number of scripts they read in a year. And they're looking for a show. They're looking for a movie. They don't want to read an idea for a show or an idea for a movie. So it's important to get feedback from, from friends. But I think the temptation is great as a writer to surround yourself with like a hype team that's going to tell you that you're great <laughs> constantly because you want that validation. But it's important to break out of that, find people that are going to really beat the hell out of your script and tell you the truth that's not working. And you got to find the sweet spot between being able to take a note, but also say no to a note if it's not right for what you're trying to do. Um, And that's difficult to find that balance. Um, And the only way to do it is just more experience, more feedback. And you start to see after you've gotten like 15 series of notes that, okay, these eight, nine, 10 people are all kind of saying the same thing. Maybe I definitely need to address that.
3: I would just add on to those answers, which I, I couldn't agree more with that. I also kind of paid some people, people that had experience in reading scripts to give me feedback. I didn't have a world around me, really anyone I could trust the feedback. It was friends and people like that who had no experience reading projects like this. So it was hugely valuable and definitely made me feel... If I had submitted the first draft that I sent to some of those kind of you know consultant types, it would have been embarrassing. And so they definitely help you strengthen your work. And so for me, that was a hugely valuable step in the process.
0: And if you guys have any general advice for writers, something maybe that you wish you knew before you kind of started all of this, what would that be?
3: This is the most cliched answer, but just do it because you love writing. And... The reason I say that is because I, you know, there there are really, I want to say none, but very very few overnight successes. It takes a while. It takes a lot of persistence, and if it's something that you don't really enjoy, like for me, it was just this great creative release in a way versus my day job that I enjoyed doing it for myself. And I, I would say if it's something you love doing, then don't stop doing it. Keep doing it. You're going to keep getting better, and and hopefully you catch a break. Um, if it's something you're doing just because you think it'd be cool to work in TV or film or something like that, I would say the likelihood is probably that you'll get frustrated before you get your break. So just kind of assess kind of why you're doing it. And if you do really are passionate about it, then no matter what any any feedback you get, just keep progressing and keep writing.
2: advice that I wish I had gotten goes back to the fact that you just want to achieve that goal. You just want to get wrapped. You just want to get that first writing job as fast as possible. And you think about all of the years that you've spent writing and nothing has happened. And the fact is is that that is your education. That's your schooling on how to learn and get better. In addition to submitting to contests, we also applied to the writing fellowships. And we spent so many years specking television shows that were co- currently airing and not necessarily working on our own original projects because we thought that's the way in. That's the only way in. And when I look back on it, I thought that was invaluable because when you get into a writer's room, you're not necessarily writing your own show and your own ideas. You're writing in the vein of something. So all of those years that we were submitting to the Warner Brothers program and specking this and specking that, it really gave us a great foundation on how to Mimic somebody else's tone. So the advice I think is don't be so hard on yourself if you feel like it's not happening uh, fast enough for you because ta said that it happens when it's meant to happen. And if if you are a writer, then all of those experiences that you're having, whether they're in Los Angeles or in some other town, hometown, what have you, those are things that you can pull from, make your writing better, more varied and alive and authentic. So the advice is sort of you you are where you are and keep your eye on the prize, but know that everything that you're doing to get there is part of the journey.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's important to remember that every defeat can be turned into a victory and something that you learn from and grow from and become a better writer, a better person from. We writers love to pat ourselves on the back and talk about how hard this is. And it can be frustrating, and it is hard. You've got to learn to enjoy the small things and take you know some pride in empowering through and finishing a script. For a long time, you're not going to make any money in this. And the odds are against you to make a career out of it. So do it because you love it. Do it because you're having a conversation with yourself, with your past, with your dreams of the future, and be persistent.
3: Yeah, If I, if I could sit on there, because it's something that resonated for me is enjoying the little moments of success you have even if it's just finishing a script if it's getting a good piece of feedback from a friend if it's making the first round of a cut of any contest I think it's very easy to you get excited about that but then wonder what's next right how come someone else just got wrapped how come it looks like someone else got five agents emailing them and I haven't heard anything yet it's very easy to kind of not enjoy the journey and the moments of success you're having and, and so I mean this is something I'm, I'm talking to myself now really When you do have any success at all, like take a moment to enjoy it before stressing out about what's next and what is or what is not happening. Just kind of appreciate that moment and hopefully use it as fuel to, to push forward.
2: I agree. I'm just going to also um echo that cuz yeah, this resonates and it's me talking to myself as well, but you spend so long chasing that carrot. That carrot being my first writing job on a TV show or getting wrapped and you think that your whole life is built on that moment. And when you get it, you inevitably it's going to be reset and the carrot's going to be far away again. And I think that as much as we sort of feel like we're building to that moment and that's going to be it, sitting from here giving advice to those young writers or waiting to crack into the industry. It's, it it will be great. It is a momentous occasion to be celebrated, but inevitably like your life goes on and then you're going to have other goals beyond it. So it is so important to enjoy the process of getting there and having a full life and enjoying what you're doing and enjoying writing and spending time with this really cool idea. And knowing that like when you get to that final destination, there will be something else beyond that. So yeah, just having gratitude for where you are in the moment, I think is is it.
4: Absolutely. I'd like to add one thing, just a specific example. I was uh, unemployed for six months recently and it I got really depressed and the only way to deal with it, I took a road trip. I went to Oregon. I went to Montana. I slept on couches. I camped out in the woods. I was gone for like 16 days. And on my way back to LA, I came up with like my next project idea huh. that I'm now taking meetings on. And it just goes to show you like if you get out of your funk, get out of your apartment, it's easy to get jaded in LA. You're in your car going from job to job, <laughs> meeting to meeting. Listen, You know, podcasts are great because they get you out of your head a little bit. And you can hear experiences of other people, of how they got out of a funk or... How they struggled for a long time before they finally made that breakthrough. Don't be your own worst enemy.
0: For those of you who have been staffing on a show, what was that like in that first season? Obviously you probably can't go into too many details, but just the experience of that, what surprised you? What did you learn?
2: I think for me, the advice that we had gotten time and time again is that when you're a staff writer, you're expected to listen more than you are to speak those people that are above you are going to be pitching more ideas and you should kind of stay quiet. And I think our experience was the exact opposite. So I sort of feel like I, (laughs) it's important to warn writers that are going into staffing jobs that every room is different, but we had a smaller room, and it really was all hands on deck. I think there were six of us, and everyone was expected to speak as much as possible and, and generate as many ideas for the showrunner as you could. Because so that was something that was sort of surprising. And then in the sh- on the show that we work on now, it's the same thing. There's no hierarchy. and A good idea is a good idea. You know, you sort of have to play to the dynamic of the room that, you know, you don't want to be talking for the sake of talking. You want to try to have great ideas. At the same time, you might not have the idea that solves the puzzle. You are just pushing the ball forward. So if a seedling of an idea gets some other writer to push the ball forward, then that's really the point of having a room. That's one of the big pieces of advice.
3: Uh, very, very similar. Um, you know, I also got the same advice that, you know, it's really this, the senior people, the EPs, co-EPs, et cetera, should be doing more of the talking. You're there to, to listen more and contribute in spots. And I think there's definitely something to that and it's right to go into that mindset, but also my experience wasn't necessarily that it was really a room that was incredibly collaborative and it was very much the best idea wins. And, you know, it was not set up as a competition of ideas, but really let's build off of an idea and, and who can push it forward here, who can push it forward there. And you know, one of my big takeaways and, and pieces of advice, I guess, to myself going into season two and anyone else going into a room for the first time is just find out where you can kind of add value. That's your job, right? Ultimately, the, the showrunners are responsible for delivering episodes to the network, the studio, all that. And your job is to make it as strong as possible. For me, on Timeless, my role was really as the historian. And so I focused on that being the person that could add and contribute all the historical details and facts and insights so that the other people and some of the more experienced writers in the room could focus on other more strategic elements in terms of character arcs and things like that. And, and once you start to add value, I think there's more room for you to contribute in other areas as well. So that, that was kind of my takeaways, my experience, that you know, I went in thinking, oh, I shouldn't say anything. And then I got worried thinking, oh, no, if I don't say anything, what am I doing there? And so you really have to start by just feeling the room out and understanding the tone that the people at the top kind of set. And then from there, again, it's really just finding out how can I contribute and make sure that the the room, the end product are stronger for having been a part of it. <laughs>
1: Before we go, do you guys have any resources, be it movies, books, TV shows, whatever, that you want to share with our listeners?
3: I would just say everything. I mean, I I started by just reading every book. I was living in New York, hadn't been writing since high school, and decided I kind of wanted to... I had a long commute, just something to kill the commute. So I started reading Robert McKee, every, kill the, Save the Cat, like everything. There's also... There's so many blogs, like John August... I mean, there's so many blogs. Just like go on and Google screenwriting. One, you can. there's a site that has like every picked up pilot curated or whatever, collated year by year, where you can kind of read the works that have been bought and are being made. But there's also just so many articles and, and blogs that give thoughts on what's going on in the world or will review screenplays. And I just think there's always something from those articles that you can take. So for me, it wasn't anything specific. It was just an aggregate as much as I could to kind of learn how the world worked and how screenplays worked and why some screenplays were great and others weren't. You you hear about a lot of really good writers that came from desks where their job was just to read every script submitted. And I think there's something to that, that the more scripts you read yourself, you get a sense for why they work and what made them stand out from the pack. And so it's just read as much as you can, whether it's books or actual screenplays, everything will kind of be additive to your own tool set.
2: Yeah, we didn't have formal writing training, so we just picked shows that we liked and we watched them with the eye of a writer. And that's sort of what taught us how television works. You know, you're like, oh, wow, that first time that you're watching it with un- with a different lens, you're like, oh, there's different storylines happening. Sure. I mean, that's how rudimentary our beginnings were. But just sort of by paying attention to what is what's before you is, is really great. And then I think too, the the other thing is you spend so much time writing and then maybe you move to Los Angeles and then you feel like you're such a small fish in, in such a huge pond. And even now, I don't know everyone's name, but I do feel like having deadline on your phone and just reading the articles, feeling like, you know, who the major players are makes you feel like you're also sort of part of the business, you know, what's going on. And I think that made me feel less anxious about, I don't know anything. I don't know. All I know is the television that's on in front of me. That's good. And yeah, I mean, we read Save the Cat, and that was how we wrote our first screenplay. Okay, what happens now on this page? And it sounds silly, but that's how you start. You know, it's sort of mimicking the things that work. You could break the rules later, but I think it's good to sort of have a structure to begin with.
4: How much time we got. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, there's the classics like William Goldman's books. The podcast, you know, Script Notes is great. But I I love listening to podcasts like Mark Maron's WTF, Radio Lab is a great one where it's sometimes about the business, but a lot of times it's just life stories. And then director commentaries can be an entire year of film school rolled into two hours. Like, for instance, the one on traffic, Soderbergh and Steve Gagan. Soderbergh likes to sit down with the writer and really hash it out. And it was fascinating to hear of like all the different versions of the script and how they debated the ending Um, They disagreed completely on it, and ultimately, you know, the director gets to make the call. The best commentary I've ever heard in my life is the one for the Limey, Soderbergh, and the writer, and they basically argue for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can learn so much from pulling back the curtain, and it's great when filmmakers give back like that, and don't just pat themselves on the back of, you know, wasn't it great when we shot this scene, but they really dig into the details of what the creative process is like.
0: That brings us to the end of the episode. We want to thank all of our listeners for taking
1: the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 55.
0: And if you want to leave us some reviews, you can do that at paperteam.co slash iTunes. All of those reviews will help us uh, attract new listeners and make us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside. As always, thanks again to our sponsor, The Tracking Board's 2017 Launchpad Feature Competition. And Paper Team listeners can use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word at the checkout, to save $15 off their entry. You can learn more about all of the Launchpad's current competitions and exclusive partners by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And I am on Twitter at tbcalling. I'm at underscore njwatson. Uh, how about all of you guys?
3: I'm David underscore c underscore hoffman.
2: Talia mg21.
4: Uh, my Twitter handle is at Captain Haystack. <laughs>
0: uh, and if anyone has any feedback, thoughts, opinions, you can email them to us at ask at paperteam.co.